This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 131 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How you doing, pal? Kia ora, Dan. I am good. Another busy week of watching. Lots to get into this week. We have got, even I've got a lot, so I feel like, should we just jump like right into it, straight into the business end of things? What have you been watching? Like a banana tongue has gone right out the window, we're jumping. It's gone, I, don't care. It. I don't care how we're you business. are, I just want to know what you've been watching. No weather talk, straight into business. Um, mm. Okay, so two things from me, but actually one of them was quite a substantive watch. And on the back of, so if you think about last week, we had our Better Call Saul review, well... Let me introduce you to another series that will be joining Better Call Saul in my top 10. And I really need to think about maths because I don't know how good I am because I seem to have counted 10 and it seems to be... You don't have space. I'll, I'll stop you, Paul. You don't have space. I've already got my... I've got like my top 10 list that's accruing and there's about 15 shows on there. So I, I'm not interested in hearing about it. Oh, well, I promise you this. This is, this is in there. This is season three of For All Mankind. And... So I recently rewatched season one and two, as I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. And so that was great binging that, but this has been a week to week um, watch. And I, uh, I have to say that sort of, you know, doing that, I wanted to wait until they'd all dropped before I brought it to the pod. It's been a real treat every night sitting down for an episode each week. I, it's like I tense up, I've got deep breaths before we. Were, I, I'm so invested in the characters. This feel, this feels um, so for me. I don't know. It's 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 as close as to real as to any show I watch in terms of my feelings for the characters. I feel it's such an inspiring show to watch. And um, every time a rocket takes off, I'm like terrified that something will go wrong. You know, every time you're still watching the countdown, the engines fire. This show goes from strength to strength, and I feel like, as I said before, I no longer exist in our version of space history. I exist in this alternate history. It looks like season three is full of some banger episodes, like there's lots of eights and nines in those reviews. So, yeah, it really has gone, as you say, strength to strength. Yeah. Oh, it's – I mean – and it's 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 really moving on as well. So if, bearing in mind season one, you know, we started back in 1969. So by the time we get to season three, we're now into the 1990s. And whilst obviously there are some new characters, we're still actually largely following the same core group as we did right from the start when the Russians were the ones that landed on the moon. And this show just, it just paints this ongoing tapestry of a different history that some are inconsequential, some are funny, but some are really significant. Most notably in this version, Clinton's not elected and someone else who's very much associated to NASA becomes the first female president of the US. And, and so her decisions and her drive for, for space exploration mean that in season three, you know, we've got NASA now racing to get to Mars ahead of the Russians and this other private company with like a, a an Elon Musk type, if you like. And yeah, it's... Um, it's just been such a great watch. The quality, the production values, the the team that work on this, 
um they're just so in tune with each other it's just cinema quality effects it's you know as you'd expect with apple tv behind it it is exceptional television and so you've mentioned in um, your previous reviews of the other seasons that sometimes like it's kind of a, a slow burn, but not in a bad way, in a, in a good way. Yeah. Would you say season three still sort of maintains that or is the pace kind of cranked up a little? Yeah, bit? that's a really good question. Um, I think it's uh, – I think it's, uh, I, the pace is still there. It's a little faster, but if anything, the stakes are higher – and 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 it's really going places so things have escalated things are happening now that are more complex than simply going to the moon well that's what a stupid statement that is going to the moon is very complicated but in relative to going to the moon what they're attempting now is so much more complex and um bigger stakes uh, for for the planet and um so yeah so there's there's that element of it there's a little bit more Panaz and I don't know what the word is just in terms of drama it's just they've just lifted things a little bit I would say the pace has 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 sort of increased a little bit not to the point where if you started on season three you I wouldn't be surprised if someone said oh this is a bit slow it's still it still takes you through the motions but um yeah it's uh I, I would say as well that this is probably my my favorite season so far so far because of because of that scale so um yeah and i see that it's already renewed for season four as well yeah and the 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 sort of little teaser that they do at the end of each season you know reveals you know now we're going to be set in the 2000s and i have to say with with better call saul now wrapped i think of all the shows that are now current that i watch this is probably if you had to say to me i could only watch one of them going forward this is now my go-to show this is the one you know like you're sort of thinking oh when's yellowstone coming or what this is my when is season four right. of for all mankind coming out it's that's that's where it sits for me it's uh it's it's really good and where is this in your you know it's still early days paul there's still a lot of shows to come out between now and the the end of the year where Top or bottom top. of your sort of top? top. It's, it's, it's right in the top three. If it's not in the top three, Dan, Ooh. if it's not in the top three, we have had an unreal year. So, um, yeah, it's uh, wow. it's uh, I could, now that we've sort of rewatched it week in, week out, I could easily, if I didn't have so many other things I wanted to watch, I could easily just go again. That's, that's how much it speaks to me, this show. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really good. Look, this has long been on my watch list, and it's I've tried to sort of get this on the the shared viewing kind of schedule, but I, I haven't had much luck. So I might have to um, split the party and go and watch this one on my own. But it does it, it looks solid, and I think um, Joel Kinnaman's such an awesome actor. Yeah. I I would love to see him in this uh, space race environment. Uh, he and and Ren Schmidt, who plays Margot Madison, would probably be my 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 two favorites uh the two of them and this is a show that you you know you talk about favorite characters that you just don't trust and you know without any spoilers when it comes to taking out major characters this is like a lost or a walking dead it's it is not afraid to take out anybody and so like i say by the time you've got to season three you're really invested in these characters so it really plays on all your emotions with shocks and all sorts of surprises look paul 
you can't be talking to me about like Lost and then Walking Dead in the same conversation while still telling me that this is a good TV show. Like I'm getting mixed messages. I'm talking about the the, the TV show's propensity to uh, like Yellowstone as well to a certain extent to, to actually or Sopranos those sort of shows that are not afraid to say I don't care if you're second billing on the credits you're done that's it yep. you're gone yeah and 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 that always keeps a show very real for me because quick quick example my favorite. TV show of all time is Star Trek The Next Generation and by and large over 189 episodes you you start with seven and you you finish with six you know you don't lose anyone and you don't expect to so yeah nice nice oh that's a, a great rave review and uh, you can check that out on Apple TV yes indeed um, so that's my first big watch the next step for me then I have gone back to that universe of horror um once more and the conjuring three the devil made me do it and i have been corrected now by enough people including a clip from a new hope where the imperial officer also uses the word conjure so i shall try and retire my pronunciation of conjure um so yeah the the third uh conjuring movie the the warrens investigate a murder that may be linked to a demonic possession and um this is the, the first thing i want to say about this movie and i think it's uh important this is the first conjuring movie where we don't have james one directing and I, I think i'll have to talk about that a bit as i go but in terms of what i liked about this movie once again uh vera famiga Patrick Wilson are just they're just so good in the role uh, of Lorraine and, and Edward and and they've really become these characters now. They 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 just they just get them inside and out. And for me, these would be the roles and and the movies that for me that they'll always be remembered for. Um support cast here is good. John Noble, um always a great um actor uh, just in anything, whether it's elementary, fringe whatever he's just absolutely superb he has the perfect voice and manner and creepiness for a, a conjuring type movie um and you know as always the, the reason why we're here those really good scary moments um which is always much more fun when you're watching it with someone who likes to jump out their chair so yeah it was it was a good watch but of the three this this definitely ranks in third place for me isn't it funny how often with um, horror movies they often just keep going, like, yeah. and like they often like there's there's more than there maybe should be, um, and it, it's a shame because I feel like the the whole notion of the Conjuring is such a almost like you could almost shift it slightly away from horror, right? Because it's so kind of um, paranormal and fascinating kind of stories that kind of leave things sort of up to the mind um but it's yeah i've i've, I've only ever seen the first conjuring so i i can't speak too much about it but i i'm with you i absolutely love uh patrick wilson and vera Farmiga. they they're they're so good in these roles and even looking at the movie poster it's so great just with the the cross showing on um, vera's face with sort of the lighting it's you can tell you're in for a good time yeah oh that, that is good I, I don't like the title I have to be honest the title for me makes it feel cheap like a you know i know what you did last summer type feel you know the the devil made mm. me do it is a little cheap but hey um i think that the thing that they try to do 
is that they try to dial they try to dial the volume up and the action up a little bit too much for me and each time they do that it takes it more and more uh away from the fact because of course these are based on you know they're actually based on true stories on actual events and and, and they try and take it to a place where i struggle to keep an open mind that oh yeah this might have happened my sort of ability to to, to keep that intact in disappears um and yeah every time it becomes more action driven and noisier i lose that quiet jumpy bit which is as i said that's what i'm here for and so overall maybe not the biggest hit but i'm definitely interested in any future movies about lorraine and ed and yeah again all the things the production value the effects the editing and all that is is all there but i just prefer even just from those first two movies james one to be at the helm and i just hope that the next one's a bit more quieter a bit more subtle and jumpy creepy please and so order wise is it kind of one two three yeah. in terms of the best of yeah the literally that's and that's the thing so i really need them to come back with a with a strong fourth one and there are those spin-offs that we've talked about like the nun the nun from that second movie is as i said before absolutely top tier horror just really really quality um i i'd still just to take this back to scream which i talked about a couple of weeks ago i'd still say go go conjuring before scream for me this 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 franchise still for me is head and shoulders above above that franchise for me but um yeah nice and whereabouts did you watch this one conjuring three is available in new zealand on neon lovely jubbly um before i pass the talking stitch you down i am pleased to say i'm well underway with slow horses following a conversation last week so next week i'll be wrapped up with that series i cannot wait to talk about that with you Awesome. It'll be good to do a bit of a, a deep dive into some of those characters. Uh, you, do, you, do you know what I mean about that show with it kind of being a little bit of a comedy at the same oh, time? Oh, yeah, of course. It's all about that. And Gary, oh, oh, let's not go there. But yes, you're 100%, you're okay, 100% right. right. Dan, what have you been watching? All right. So I've also got a, a TV show from uh, Apple, Apple TV. This is a, a mini series called Blackbird. And this... Um, this is a, a six-part little series, and it's basically about a guy that gets sentenced to 10 years in a, a minimum security prison, but he cuts a deal with the FBI to befriend a suspected serial killer, um, and he has to elicit some information from, from this guy to find out whether the bodies of um, up to sort of about 18 women are. And it's, honestly, Paul, this is a, a top-tier miniseries. So our... Our main cast is uh, Taron Egerton, who you may remember from the the, kin, the Kingsman. Yes. Um, this guy's been working out, man. Like he's he's buff. Like he's he's in peak physical condition. Like he is he is a unit, um, and he's kind of our. Hero is kind of the wrong word because he, he's kind of done. He's done like he's he's a drug dealer. He's done some things, but he's kind of our, our likable bad guy. Um, and then he's getting information out of uh, a character that comes from a, another little TV series, which I'm a very big fan of, Cobra Kai. Paul Walter Hauser, who plays um, Larry Hall, and Paul deserves some Emmys, some awards for the role that he plays here so he basically plays this super creepy serial killer and 
he's he's basically his his story is he's a twin, but the way they tell it in this in the in this series is that his twin kind of came out normal and his twin kind of like absorbed all the uh the nutrients out of the the other twin and so he's kind of like he's a bit slower he's definitely got a few issues going on um he doesn't sort of trust people he doesn't kind of understand uh social cues and just the way that um Taryn and Paul kind of play off each other it, it's absolutely incredible and along with that we've got Ray Liotta who plays um Taryn Egerton's father and you can tell and I don't, I don't know whether it was just acting or whether it was sort of good makeup, but the role that he plays here, he, he plays a character called Big Jim Keen, and he looks like he's on death's door. Oh, and, you know, and it's it's kind of sad. Like it, like he's, like he, he plays a, a wonderful, wonderful role, but he looks terrible. Like, and just the, the fact that he's no longer with us, it just really kind of reigns in like, Things are not good. It's also got a, a Kiwi actor, uh, Robin Malkin. She plays a character called Sammy, who's Ray Liotta's uh, wife. But this is a a great kind of – a lot of it's kind of set within the prison, a lot of kind of high-tension moments, a lot of trying to sort of elicit information without getting caught, a lot of sort of prison politics that take part. And, you know, I love a good miniseries, Paul, six episodes – one and done. This is a uh, one to watch. One and done. You can't beat it. Six episodes. Um, I heard you say top tier, top ten. I thought you said for a second, but um, the, the jury's out on that. I presume. Uh, look, I've I've noted it down in my my top ten list. I I think it will probably get um, bumped out, but it's very sort of like. Until all the sort of uh, numbers are in, we've done all the counting. Like, there's still a chance it could be in the top ten, but if not, it's definitely going to be an honourable mention. It's just one of those like we we were hooked to this TV show, and again watched it over two nights. Couldn't wait to watch the next episode. Absolutely gripping, stellar cast. Didn't really know what I was in for, but just really had a good time. Apple TV are really chucking out some great shows at the moment, and. This would definitely be on my list as well. I, I, I love Paul Waterhouse just like you do. But for me, every time I see him, I instinctively actually I don't think Cobra Kai. I always think of Richard Jewell, um, that movie we talked about a while back. And I would almost say his role in this is more closer to the Richard Jewell type role, but on a on a much deeper level. And I think he just leans so deep into this sort of creepy serial serial killer type vibe that it, it all just works i think you know the fact that he can do comedy he can do drama he can do action he's a total package he really is and yeah i mean obviously sad to see um really had a pass away but i would still be always just intrigued just to see one of his final performances greg kinnear in there as well always enjoy his performances and yeah like you say great to see a kiwi actress you know robin malcolm she was she was more when in Lord of the Rings. Um, so it'd be great to see her again. Um, there's so much that appeals to me about this. Um, honestly, I, I have a number of Apple TV shows on, on the go at the moment. So they're really, they're really pumping up my list in terms of my platforms. Yeah. Look, I, I think Apple TV is doing some, some quality work. And I, I think a while ago I might've even said, um, if I had to cut a service, like would it have been Apple? But I think Apple is like one of those, 
uh, uncut gems where like you could probably come into the service, watch a bunch of stuff and, you know, maybe take a break and then come back. But when they do put out some stuff, often it is on that sort of the higher end tier. So yeah, Blackbird, check it out on Apple TV. Nice. The next thing I've watched, Paul, um, this is a, I've watched a movie and it's a movie that uh, I really wanted to see in the cinema, didn't quite make it to the cinema for whatever reason. Um, finally got the chance to watch it in my own home. Absolutely fantastic. 2022's Top Gun Maverick. Is it eight? One of the greatest movies, greatest movies I've ever seen on on um, Apple movies. You've got you've got to rent it. But oh, it's, okay, I'm. It's out. You can rent it. Okay, if you can rent it, I'll be there. Yep. I, I won't go into spoilers because I, I know that you'll probably be keen to watch it and I think we'll, we could probably do a really good sort of joint review. But I just want to say, Paul, like this movie, incredible. It is so good. Like I kind of, you know, like for me, Top Gun was always like a magical movie. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I hear people kind of talk smack about it and like it's like, it's a bit dated and blah 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 but I think one of the the magical things about Top Gun is the actual use of you know filming real planes it wasn't digital effects and that's what often dates movies this movie Paul is everything that you'd want in a Top Gun movie Tom Cruise absolutely smashes it as you'd imagine all-star cast with like uh, Jennifer Connelly Val Kilmer like they they bring in um they bring in so many uh so many like old faces and new faces, and yeah, it's a it's a good one. <laughs> I was trying to stop you. The one thing I've been wondering is, I wonder if they get Val Kilmer in this movie or not. Um, oh. Okay, I have heard a lot of great things about this. My manager at work just recently watched it, and she says it could be her favorite movie of all time, which is an extraordinary thing to say, you know, all time. Um, yeah. And I see ratings-wise, it's up there, and money-wise, it's just gone past uh, Infinity War on the on the on the yeah, look, box it's, office it's, mojo. It's absolutely smashing it, and I think you know because in a movie like this, you kind of wonder whether uh, you know, like, is Tom Cruise still the right fit for a movie like this? And he absolutely is, and I think they really kind of like. I think pair it well with a, a new coming of age of, of new Top Gun pilots coming through. There's lots of kind of references and throwbacks to the old show. In fact, a lot of the movie kind of almost echoes that same same kind of format and same kind of things that happen. But what's kind of great, I think, about um, Top Gun Maverick is, you know, they've got a, a real-life training scenario. They're carrying on the lineage of the first movie. They're actually going into combat and they never really sort of define who they're going into in the combat with like they don't say this is Russia or this is China or this is whoever like it's it's kind of just a bit of a it's never actually discussed but we've got to take out these uh take out the enemy and it's it's so good I feel like it's really set up for a a, a third movie and I think because they're particularly with um Miles Teller and you know the sort of younger um crew of pilots coming through it's it's quality. I I won't. I know. I feel like you, you probably think I've sort of spoiled a little bit of of the Valcoma thing, but there's so many great moments that they kind of bring out from the original movie. There's it's by no means a spoiler. Like it's like there's so much good stuff in there for you to discover. 
That's good. Oh, look, my main thing was going to be, was he going to be in it or not? And so overall, I mean, I'm just pleased to hear that they got him in there because I think it would have been a real shame given, you know, we talked about it when we did the Val documentary and um, I'm just, because I haven't looked at the IMDb page for a while for that reason, but now just looking at it, um, some of the trivia there is extraordinary. Like Tom Cruise setting up like three week flying courses for all of the actors so that they could get used to handling an F-18, all of the stunts being real, all of the the pilots having to film themselves in the cockpit and touch up their makeup and everything. Everything is, is real, is as real as it can be. And it's, um, I don't know when this guy's going to slow down because you think about the Mission Impossible movies. He just keeps, you know, doing the most craziest of things. He's ruining that poor. And I think that's the thing. I think, I think he didn't want to make this movie until, like, you know, unless, you know, they could kind of apply the same principles. They could fly the jets. They could do the stunts, all that type of thing. And, you know, I watched a, um, a YouTube video of Tom Cruise, uh, going on the James, James Gordon talk show and he he takes him on a, a series of kind of like flights of various sort of types of jets and stuff. Tom Cruise is the man. Like he can fly anything. He like I, I think there's no limits to the guy. Like he's he's incredible. Well, I uh I'm really pleased it's coming it's finally available to watch and see because like you, I wanted to see this one as well. I'm wondering, do you feel like uh, a rewatch of Top Gun ahead of time is is worthwhile, or does does it does it sort of take you through that movie? Because I, I have heard a couple people say that there is a lot of footage shown of the previous movie. I think it de- so. It depends on how recently you've seen Top Gun. Yeah. If you haven't seen it since it first came out, you definitely need to rewatch it. Um, if it's been a few years, I think it wouldn't hurt to to do a watch. Um, we actually. Um, only, we were going to rewatch it actually, but we sort of ran out of time. So we did a sort of a, a YouTube five minute recap of Top Gun. And I think it was pretty crucial to be honest, okay. because there's quite a few kind of what you th- would be throwaway things in the Top Gun movie, but they kind of leverage off in the, in this movie. So, you know, I would say treat yourself and go for Top Gun. And then, um, Top Gun Maverick, Top Gun at the moment is available on Netflix here in New Zealand. Indeed, indeed. I was just looking at Tom Cruise's next movies. I mean, his next two movies uh, are Dead Reckoning as he finally puts the Ethan Hunt Mission Impossible story to bed. And then after that, it's an untitled Tom Cruise SpaceX project where, where he he's filming the movie in space. I mean, he's literally just taking it to the absolute limit. If you're going to space, that's it. So uh, you're right. He's not He's not coming down. He's ramping up. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I feel like he's kind of had like a... Like he probably wouldn't say this, but I feel like he said like a bit of a, a a second like life almost sort of like like he's come he's come back out swinging like he's he he was always a great I think action hero and then I think he kind of like fell off not fell off the radar but he kind of fell out of favor with quite a few people um, for various reasons and now I feel like he's kind of come back he's a bit independent he kind of knows what he's about he's doing some great stuff I I do worry for him with all these stunts that he's doing himself yeah. but uh. Overall, look, we just had a great time. We walked away from this movie being like, this is the most fun we've had watching a movie in a long, long time. And we were like, where do we go and become Top Gun pilots? Because (laughs) this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. In fact, when when it comes out on... um, on streaming service, which I'd, I'd easily do this movie the week again as well. Like it's nice. it's that good. Nice. Okay, I'm 
I'm going to be there for that and I'll hold you to that. That's good. Anything else this week, Dan? I've got a couple of things, just a, a couple of individual episodes. So um, they released a, a bonus episode of The Sandman on Netflix. So this was quite a, a cool little sneaky treat that um, Netflix had up their sleeve, where they had this eleventh episode, oh, wow. and they just kind of dropped. They just kind of dropped it. So one extra episode of The Sandman, and it was called The Dream of a Thousand Cats, and it was kind of more of a uh, like you didn't need to watch the rest of the Sandman to watch this. Like you could have almost watched this independently, but obviously, if you if you know the Sandman story, you've got far greater context. And it's kind of a bit of a a, a two part episode. And the first half of it was actually animated, and then it's kind of shifted into into real life. And um, I, I won't talk too much about it because if you're a Sandman fan, I imagine you're all over it. Or if this is news to you, you might want to jump back into the Sandman and just check out that last episode. But I just kind of thought what a, a very cool thing for Netflix to do, kind of by surprise. Like, because, you know, when you know about these things, it's like, oh, God, we've got to wait for the final episode. But this was kind of just like a little bonus episode. You've been good this year, Paul. Have another one. And I see, ratings-wise, it's the highest of the whole season. So that's pretty good sign. Yeah, no, crazy, isn't it? Crazy, crazy, crazy. And then the other TV show that I've watched, um, and I'm not going to review this every week, I don't think, but the first episode of uh, House of the Dragon came out, which is the the latest uh, Game of Thrones prequel TV show. I'll tell you, Paul, this gave me the feeling of original Game of Thrones. Like, I love it like I just like it it made me feel like we were back in the early seasons of Game of Thrones like the quality was just next level like we're already dealing with you know like big dragons and stuff which were like we didn't see that in Game of Thrones or quite sort of you know midway through the um the seasons but this um story of the the Targaryens and it's, it's set 200 years before what we saw in Game of Thrones and you know we've heard about some of these characters through sort of the legends or people talking about their families but to actually see them and just be back in that universe and back in King's Landing and just hearing like terms like the yellow cloaks and the um god it's just it's it's so good it's so great to be back I wished I had the whole season to watch because I would binge the hell out of it, but this is going to be a, a week-by-week uh, episode drop. But if, if the first episode's anything to go by, this is, this is, this is going to be some good Game of Thrones. I think the week-by-week week is great for your favourite shows, for your big shows, for the ones you really love. And I was, like I was saying before, you know, for All Mankind or, or Yellowstone, I think the week by week is good because you really savor that first episode and you might go away and watch it a couple of times again. Like with The Mandalorian, I remember sometimes watching an episode three times before the next episode. So I, I quite actually, I, I think that's quite, quite good. Do they, um, so I just see it's, so it's 200 years before, but obviously these characters are all kinds of, uh, you know, they're not humans. Uh, is any of the original cast in this? Is it sort of like any characters carrying on their journey or, or starting their journey? Um, uh, not so much. So, so most of them, most of them are sort of human, and some of them do like live a little bit longer, like Targaryens. But none of them um, that we've seen so far uh, in the actual um, 
Game of Thrones series. It's so yeah, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's there's some things that we start to see that start to sort of cross over, and already we're having. Um, you know, characters like like Rickon Stark to be mentioned. Just hearing, like, you know, the previous series was so focused around the Stark family, and just even having slight kind of nods to these characters is is really cool. And I think the biggest thing that's kind of, I guess, I don't know if it's surprising, but it's kind of like so. Matt Smith plays one of the main characters. He plays um, a prince in the Targaryen family, and he's a complete badass ball. Like he's. He's not Doctor Who in this movie. Like he's like he's doing some very terrible things, playing a very different type of character, and a very interesting haircut to go with it as well. I saw I saw his face all over social media for this, and I was like, you know, he's you know he's he's definitely moving moving from one big franchise to another big franchise with this one. And um, other than him, I was just going through some. There are some other names in there that I sort of recognise. I love Reese Evans. Um, Paddy Considine, but there's not too many others that I recognize. So I'm not sure who else, anyone else in their standout characters yet, or, do you, or I suppose it's only one episode in, isn't it? It's only one episode. Um, a few kind of like known names, but without, I kind of like know the face and then I like they might have been in a, a couple of other things. One of the characters at the very start, and I can't see his name here on imdb i'll just search for it while i'm talking to you uh he is actually from star wars uh it was here we go uh, da, 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 da. oh lawrence kasdan um, oh. was who plays um Bib fortuna he was uh in in the real early part of the, the first episode which i thought was pretty cool that's amazing um yeah, Lawrence Lawrence Kasdan. That's that's incredible because he, of course, was the writer of Solo. Um, I didn't even know that he was an actor. So that's extraordinary. Um, what else was I going to say? I thought of something else. Then uh, I'm not sure. Oh, eight point nine out of ten. Strong start for for, for that first episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too. You know, I'm I'm well known for having a bit of a rant about how uh, Game season of Thrones eight. ended <laughs> season eight, and you know, a bit of a bit upset about how sort of rushed I kind of felt it was. And I feel like what what I have just loved about this is this feels like core core Game of Thrones when it was at its peak, sort of in that in those first couple of seasons, and it just makes me think like. If I had the patience, which I don't, imagine if I could just save up this entire show, like, and it would probably be like 10 years worth of saving up and just be able to sit sit down for a, a couple of weeks and just watch all of it, how good it would be. Yeah. Oh, I think there is something about watching it in one go, which is, is always super, but um, yeah, very interesting. Uh, be, I'm good. I'm, I'm glad. So I'm glad to hear that it's gone well because I, I well remember it's been it's, it's only been two years, but I well remember the uh, the season eight. Uh, I think um, I think what's going to be interesting, Paul, is this is going to cross over with um, the Lord of the Rings TV show, which comes out in uh, a couple of weeks' time. I think that comes on. You mean date wise? Date wise, okay. <laughs> date 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 wise, not a. Uh, not story, not story law wise, and I think it's gonna. There's probably going to be some comparisons that are made between the t- the two shows, and which 
are probably unfair to start with, but because Game of Thrones is a very sort of dark adult themed, whereas uh, the Rings of Power is probably a bit more trying to sort of bring in a uh, the Lord of the Rings fan and, and a little bit softer. But I think because they're they're both sort of swords and sandals dramas, I think there'll be some some linkages made. And um, shout out to. Neon here in New Zealand, whose promotion for this, they went really next level with their New Zealand trailer where they had a dragon flying over all kinds of New Zealand landmarks from the water tower in Invercargill to the Milford Sound to various landmarks across New Zealand. It was really well done with the lighting. They did some cool stuff, eh? like even just turning on Neon uh, on the night this came out and just seeing like kind of like the fireball kind of erupt behind the Neon sign was was so cool. It was impressive to see what they'd done. Nice one. And that is me, Paul. So uh, a TV show, a movie, and a couple of uh, standalone episodes. But um, Big week. Sure. Yeah, big week, big week. Shall we uh, jump into a TV show that we have watched together? Uh, Breeders Season 3. Yeah, so this is this is uh, the, the show that we've watched um, as joint reviews for Seasons 1 and 2, which um, you can find if you want to listen to those reviews on our, on our website using the review section. But season three uh, picks up where we left off in season two, obviously, and this show continues to show a side of parenting <laughs> that um, very few shows actually sort of do so, um, so explicitly, uh, sometimes obviously very funnily, but sometimes very dark places we go to in this and i guess that's that's the first thing that i would have to say about watching this third season is that i appreciate that it doesn't tiptoe around you know the hard realities that comes with the 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 types of situations and emotions that these characters that we're watching are going through it doesn't tiptoe it dances right across that line and it leaves nothing unspoken and this season i thought more than anything else it it took it to the next level even more than season one and two, perhaps. It's interesting, eh? Because I think the show does kind of steer into the darkness and and take you on a bit of a journey. And each season, I think, does, you know, it normally ends with sort of something a bit dark that you have to kind of grapple with. And I think one thing that I think season three that is kind of, I think, lost a little is I think some of the the comedy value isn't like it's 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 funny for different reasons now whereas i think in seasons one or two like it was it was laugh out loud hilarious whereas in season three i feel like some of the anger issues are becoming so serious it's kind of a little bit harder to laugh yeah at. i think i i think that's a really good observation because i would call this a comedy drama but if you were looking at season three you could almost call it a drama comedy just like the difference in the in that is quite subtle of course but um i think a good example of that for me was uh, Paul's, uh, Martin Freeman's, that is, parents. And because I think it was so sad seeing what happened with with his, with you know, a few spoilers here for anyone, but, uh, you know, what happens uh, with his mum. And I thought it was really powerful because throughout this entire series thus far, his parents have just been, for me, pure comedy value you know they've got they're annoying they've got quirks they're stuck in their ways they're embarrassing on pc moments and comments and but now all of a sudden they've become very real because things that have happened in their life and in their history um have 
really you know his mum's life is turned upside down and 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 that's it there's i feel like there's we got to a point where oh there's no more comedy coming from these characters you know who've made us laugh so much because now their situation is very serious as well and so you're right they're sort of chipping away at everyone including the kids as well this season then yeah and i think well should we sit with the parents and seeing where seeing we're with them at the moment um interesting eh, about sort of the so so if you do sort of maybe use the time codes if you're wanting to watch breeders and you and you don't want any spoilers um so paul's parents you're right have kind of been a bit of a dependable rock and the fact that they kind of go through a, a breakup that late in life really just like kind of brings everything into kind of perspective when you're like you know i think I almost took them for granted as kind of the, the rock solid parents. They were the ones who look after the kids. They were the ones who were like, you know, no matter what, they were kind of like bumbling through kind of like retirement together. They were, and to see them kind of so broken and almost kind of like in an unrepairable state was, was so shocking. Exactly. I mean, going into the final, uh, the eighth episode of season three, the final episode, not knowing what had happened following the events of the, the episode seven was quite terrifying. And, um, you know, it doesn't make for, cause you know, when we started this series a couple of years ago, we, we sort of would watch it as, as you often do it as a, as a palate cleanser. It is not a reliable palate cleanser at all because no, sometimes no. it is a funny episode and it's not too dark, but sometimes it's unbelievably dark. And I often wonder what this show might be like, if it was just the comedy, if they left everything else behind, I'm not saying it would be better, but I'm, I always come back to season one, episode one and that opening scenes and how much I really laughed at Madden Freeman, just saying to himself, look, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to sort this out like an adult. And then he goes in there and he just loses it. And it's how dark it's become. You know, when we think about what happened with Ali's dad, um, you know, in season one, just being knocked in the street, um, there are points at which you get to where you think, you know, how do they come back from this? Like fourth season is coming and where are we going to go with the parents? Um, how do we get them back into a funny state? Because for me, obviously Madam Freeman hilarious, but for me, the parents were the most somehow <laughs> oddly relatable. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think in a way, and, and you, you see this in comments all over the internet, that the thing that people love about breeders is that they, it is kind of, it is how people sometimes feel when they've got like kids or family members that are being frustrated and it kind of, it probably paints more of a, a real life lens, but also it, it is about the drama and it is about, it's not always kind of a, you know, happy days. And I I think, you know, we've got enough kind of like comedy shows I think it's good that this one's kind of tackling both. And I think equally like the issues between, you know, Martin Freeman and um, his wife, Daisy, Daisy Haggard, who plays Ellie, like they're equally just as serious. Like at, at any point during the show, I'm waiting for them to have a full-blown divorce. I'm waiting for Martin Freeman's character to have an affair. I'm waiting for it all just to start crumbling down. And I feel like the only person who's actually probably kind of holding it together is Ava. Yeah. She she literally is right. She's the most mature, the most 
um, most reliable member of that family all round. And it's interesting, actually, because you mentioning Daisy Haggard there as Ali. I think she really deserves a shout because, of course, this was this whole series is based on an idea that Martin Freeman had. And Martin Freeman is this, is obviously the star of the show, and he is hilarious. And we just talked about the parents and Haggard there. But Daisy Haggard, when she gets going, when they have an argument – she is ferocious and she does not leave anything behind. Like I can only imagine when the director, you know, says cut, whatever, just like I could just imagine Madam Freeman just turning around and just being like, okay, I'll, I'll never, I'll never piss you off in real life. Cause yeah. you're, she, yeah, she's sorry. really good. eh? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think there is some, some, so many intense scenes. And I think the other thing the show does really well is it kind of gives you an appreciation for, how somebody else is thinking in a situation and because so often this this show does a great job of just showing you different perspectives and you know just you know th- th- there's a saying I've heard recently and it, it's kind of really stuck with me and it's the what is it it's the as I say it's stuck <laughs> with me the the ex forgets but the true remembers and I think um Martin Freeman's character constantly ripping everyone a new one whether it's his kids his wife his parents somebody runs into him in the street and it means nothing to him but it's it has some long lasting effects and i think you know you know this this season started in a pretty intense way with luke saying i can't be in this house with you you're too angry and it has infecting his anxiety and then the flow and impacts of then that affecting ava because her dad isn't there yeah. and just like such a, a complicated situation and i you know if this was real life i still don't see paul really under he still doesn't really see what the problem is because he just sees it as words but everyone else is kind of walking on eggshells oh, complete eggshells and it's um you know we talked about madden freeman in the responder but you know even in a comedy setting like this seeing him have these angry outbursts uh, it, it's still i find quite jolting seeing it and it's great because he he does it so well but it's it's just so so intense and like you say you you could literally start the episode and by the end of i don't know like a 25 minute episode you would not be surprised if if, if everyone is living in different countries or at least in different houses and never talking to each other mm. ever again, it's it's a credit to uh, Simon Blackwell and Chris Addison, the writers. I think they they've really nailed it because shows like Afterlife, um, uh, shows like Dead to Me, other dark comedies, I think is something that can sometimes not go well. Sometimes, you know, those ones I've mentioned are great, but this is a difficult genre to write and I think they've just got the balance just amazingly right. Yeah, I, I think it's going under the radar too because I don't think a lot of people know about this TV yeah. show. But I think you're right, like it's it started as a bit of a palate cleanser, but it's it, it, it's so far from that. This this is a, a drama comedy and I think if it's one that you haven't checked out yet, it's, it's definitely one to do so. And it's a bit of an emotional journey, I think, overall. And I think I think you're right. Like, just such a wonderful cast. I'm convinced now that, you know, Martin Freeman is just an angry guy by nature because so many of his characters yeah. are just furious. That's right. We've come a long way from, from Tim Cantonbury, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, this is uh, this is good. I'm... I still loved it. I'm still here for season oh, four. Yeah. I am in, I'm intrigued to see where they go next. I don't know how else they could shock me, but they seem to do it every season. And a really interesting 
final scene that sort of sums up that the characters themselves are sort of saying, we have no idea where this series is going when they just look at each other in the car and she just says to him, I don't know either. And and he doesn't ask a question and then it just cuts the credits. It's it that's genius. It's it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good. Um we watch this on Disney Plus here in New Zealand. Um but it's also been on Neon before in the past as well. But all three seasons are currently on on Disney Plus. Indeed. Yeah, definitely go check it out. Shall we uh, jump over to another joint review, our movie of the week? Indeed. So as always, Dan and I take it in turns, choose a movie, watch and review it. We announce what that movie is going to be a week in advance over in our Discord community. So you can join that by clicking on the link in the show notes and then find out what we're watching and watch along with us. And this week, Dan, I put two movies on the table for you and... There were some tough choices in there, but you eventually came out with the choice of 13 lives. And I'll tell you, Paul, so let me just sort of paint the picture for you. So we've just watched Top Gun Maverick. We're thinking about, you know, becoming Top Gun yes. pilots. It's about 9.30 at night, a little bit too early for bedtime on a sad day. So we're like, should we start the movie of the week? And we kind of thought, probably do it in two parts. Top Gun Maverick, super hyped up, 13 lives, it went toe-to-toe with Maverick as far as sort of a, a good time that was had. So this obviously isn't a good time what happens in this movie, but as far as the the storytelling, the direction, the um, the cast, the filming, this was a, a great movie and a great kind of reminder of the events that happened. And I'm always – I always come into sort of these uh, – biography sort of movies a little bit tentative like about whether I'm going to enjoy them but I was so intrigued to kind of find out more about this one but I full spoilers absolutely love them. yeah oh I'm the same and um I basically only saw Ron Howard's name and that was it that was enough for me to chuck it up as a, as a suggestion without even looking at what it was but as soon as I realized so this is the you know based on the rescue mission in Thailand in 2018 with the 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 boys in the football team that are trapped in this crazy series of underground cave that are flooding and i am um, i love uh, a true story i've said that many times and this this is obviously quite a recent one and you know and so that made it even more intriguing because i don't know what the word is but at what point is it appropriate to do a movie you know how soon can you do it after after the events but i remember watching this unfold daily on the tv and the stress and the complexity of the situation so i was already keen to see this story told and for anyone who was watching this movie who perhaps didn't know the outcome of this you know uh, which um obviously is i guess quite quite a poignant moment the stress of watching it must have been even more intense but yeah ron howard behind the camera um and two big names Vigo Mortison and Colin Farrell they were the stars but everyone in this movie who I saw on screen left nothing behind and I thought they were all superb I think too because um because they got all 13 boys or 12 boys and their their soccer coach out it kind of gave me some reassurance through this movie that was going to be okay i knew some lives had been lost by the by the rescuers and and so i knew there was sort of going to be a a bit of a a bittersweet journey but i'll tell you paul 
speaking of Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell, could they be any more like dad like in this movie? <laughs> yeah, like Viggo. Viggo Mortensen is just like he's like I don't deal with idiots. I I'm a professional rescue diver. I pretty much just like volunteer my time. Um, Colin Farrell, kind of the nicer of the two, but still full dad mode at all times. And just, just two really like, they were the, were the least star like I've ever seen them. Cause they were just kind of like, they just seemed like two guys who just were trying to put their expertise to use and add some value. And, I presume they probably spent a lot of time with the characters that, with the real life people of the characters they were playing, and sort of brought out some of their emotions and some of their some of their quirks. But I thought they were great in this. Oh, I, I really did too. And I think Vigo in particular had that real, as you said, dad like vibe, just a real no nonsense, no, no pretense, no interest in anything really beyond you know having a few um, biscuits, you know, just constantly talking about you know custard cream biscuits. Um, I have to say, uh, so Colin Farrell, I'll be honest, is an actor who I've always thought was okay. I thought, was, you know, I always think, you know, Minority Report, and then he's fine. But I've never really paid too much attention to him. But the last three things that I've seen him in, The Gentleman, great movie. If you haven't seen it, check that out. The Batman as, as, as Oz, Penguin, and then this movie. I thought he absolutely, he was the standout for me, Colin Farrell. Uh, and that's two movies this year alongside the Batman where I just thought this guy has got a lot in his locker. And, and you know, he's, he's got a, still many years ahead of him, I'm sure. I think he's coming into what I think he's in his prime now. I really do. I thought another uh, character who kind of came later into the movie but was awesome was Joel Egerton yeah. um, as, the, as the doctor who – kind of had to administer the or he was the anesthetist and I thought he he played a great character as well and I think he played this kind of like had this sort of great almost like doctor's bedside manner where you kind of felt like comfort with him you felt that he was knew what he was doing even if he didn't like he kind of brought like a, a certain level of calmness and I kind of worried from as a character because I was like are you allowed to do this like what if this goes wrong like and I think it Again, just sort of a, a real hero of the movie. Oh, really? And I'll embarrass myself here, Dan. I saw him when he turned up on screen, and I was like, "What do I know this guy?" And then he's, you know, he's talking in this broad Aussie accent, and I'm like, oh, "I don't know. I, I must have seen him in something. Maybe he was in the Nightingales or, or something like that." And um, I, I, it was actually Diana who looked him up, and she goes, "You ain't going to believe this." And I'm like, "What?" And then as soon as she's set i was like oh my goodness it's it's uncle owen how did i not pick that but he really because of the accent he just i just couldn't pick him amazing and it is funny because i think when he was uncle owen he kind of seems a bit younger as well whereas i think in this he seems a bit more like kind of on par with colin farrell right as soon as a, a bit of a, a dad vibe so yeah oh a real a real a real dad vibe um now there was these are the stories that should always be made into movies. You know, what those boys went through is something incomprehensible. And so having their story told, and this, it's not just for the story of the 13, it's all of the people that came to help, you know, the, how this community came together, uh, how brave the rescuers were that put their lives on the line. And as you say, you know, 
we had a loss of life and um it was just harrowing to watch and just thinking about how you know someone had to bring those bodies back through it just must have been trauma traumatizing for everyone i just feel like like cave diving just in general seems like such a terrifying thing and to be a cave dive rescuer like it just seems so so crazy yeah. Paul. like and obviously like you know that no one knew those cases were going to flood and it was incredible i think to sort of see everyone come together and also like just in those sorts of crisis how sometimes people think they're doing good and they're actually not helping at all but just seeing how quickly kind of a community can mobilize as a as a powerful thing yeah. oh very very powerful question for you though dan talking about cave diving how did they get such a perfect seal with the face mask on the face of these children to not let in because as you said they were anesthetized anesthetized you know, in order for them to make the journey out i can't even go snorkeling for five minutes without a bit of water coming through the seal how do they get these seals so because it's not a movie i'm sorry it's not just in the movie they did this in real life and they did this for a huge distance and a very complex route i don't understand how water didn't end up coming in at some point well i guess i presume like i don't i presume they're using super high quality dive mass um but you know and i think they kind of highlighted this with the last kid that they brought out that they they needed the smallest mass possible to fit its face and i would imagine that would have been a a challenge for a number one of those those boys because i think that six hour dive if you get any water in you're toast and like it's it's incredible and i imagine it was a much bigger issue than was maybe showing in the yeah movie. i think you're right note for you k matt you need to up your game on your six dollar snorkeling mask they weren't quite the same quality because equally, I think, you know, something that sometimes movies like this skip over, and I think they were a little bit guilty of this here, is they didn't really give us a good sense of why the boys went to the cave, apart from the fact that, you know, that it was before someone's birthday and they were going down there. But when you actually read into the story, they went down there to perform a bit of a, a ritual sort of um, blessing sort of for, for what they were doing. And it's like that wasn't really covered in the story it almost is kind of straight to yeah. action oh that's interesting to know because i i thought the same thing because for me i look at those caves as a parent i'm like you never go there ever that forget about the fact that they're filling with water even without the water just no one ever goes there i find it hard to you know with you saying that i find it hard sometimes to criticize movies like this you know but for me the, the one thing that i would bring as a criticism is that somehow I think Ron Howard did a, a fantastic job, but somehow he, they didn't quite capture for me, and I don't know how they might have done it, but they didn't quite capture how far how far these divers had to swim. And I know they had graphics on sc- on screen to sort of, and that was great, but the complexity in the confined space that they had to travel, they they certainly captured that for me. But even just for one trip in terms of distance and time, I didn't have a, a true comprehension of of that because this was several kilometers over, you know, over like was it like four or five hours at a time. That is an extraordinary length of time to be just diving in, in a confined space. And I don't know, maybe I needed longer sustained scenes of swimming by one person or, or something. But it's, I, I just wanted to really feel that a bit more somehow. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point because I think on one of the dives, they came back out and the monsoon's coming back and the, the cave's flooding and they, they're all heading off back to their hotel rooms. And I'm kind of thinking, go back yeah. in, like get back in that cave. And it's like, but it's like, you've got to keep reminding yourself, this is a six hour plus dive. You're only allowed to use a certain amount of oxygen. So I imagine you're absolutely exhausted from doing it. Um, but it's almost like, you know, like you almost wanted to see that um the live animation of them of where they're at in the cave and their swim so you could kind of get a set like they maybe needed to do like one of the dives a kind of a a 20 minute scene of just negotiating all of this um these caves and these um stalactites and and just because i think it it did make it kind of look like they were just popping in and out and even though they did mention the time it's i think it's a valid criticism The, the 2d graphic as i said on screen was helpful but i would almost have accepted a a blatant 3d graphic of something that sort of rotated around it and showed yeah. you the to give it a little bit more but um yeah i was you know how they were sort of having to watch how much oxygen they had and they could only take so many tanks and some of them were using it too quickly i was imagining you and me as part of that rescue effort and i just don't i don't know i dread to think how far we would have got before our o2 reading would have said nil i don't even think we would have been okay, okay. you mate none of those kids would have got out i would have like not made it through the first cabin like i am a big unit there's no way that i'd be going through speaking of like you know the first time that they kind of they reached the boys and yes. they're like hey guys like we're the divers we'll be back tomorrow i was like could you have brought some oh, water goodness, or like then. i know i was like how devastated would you be you're like uh, have you got anything for us? <laughs> no, I didn't bring anything. Sorry, mate. I, it's like I said, it's because it's real. It's so hard to say. But I, we both sat here saying the same thing. Like, so when you get there, give them this. You know, it's kind of like. And obviously, they did several trips, um, and even just the build up to that first trip and actually going further and further to eventually finding them. That was, it was all very well done. Like, so this, you know, this this movie, you know, runs uh, for two and a half hours and i am not criticizing that at all i felt that was justified length of time mm. and as i said as i'm sort of sitting here saying i wish they'd given me more to understand the length of time and then we're looking at a three-hour movie and we're talking the irishman type distance yeah yeah the other thing i found and i i think this isn't necessarily a reflection on the movie maybe it's sort of a a reflection on how this is managed but like the families were just so kept in the dark over all of this i felt like they were just they were just like you'll know when all 13 are out and we're not telling you who's in who's out who's made it who's injured you'll just keep waiting here and i felt like that like they were treated terribly They, they really were and i you know i um different cultures work in different ways with different um government structures and, and the ways in which you know the way they treated the um the governor or whatever the the, the guy who was basically going to be sacked but then was asked to stay on you know the way they were forced to treat the and keep that information private when when a kid comes out and none of them could know which which of them whose son it was i cannot even imagine how i would have handled any of this situation but that part would have been just excruciating and could you imagine like you were saying before like if not all kids had made it out i don't think we would have this movie um and i think if any of those kids had died as a result of being uh put under to for the cave exit i don't think we would have seen this movie it's only through almost kind of a bit of a miracle that 
everyone got out and they're able to tell the story. Yeah. Oh, it really is. And the reaction of all of the crew when he, when Vigo's character suggests the, you know, putting them under uh, the anesthetic, um, their reaction to that, like, is like, you know, you're mad. You know, they, they, would, they looked at him like he was a madman and yet he was you know, arguably probably the, the, the greatest cave diver the world has. And they were like, you're mad. I'm also like I was intrigued in that movie like like oh can you guys like we might we're on the list to maybe come here and then next minute they're kind of arriving in Thailand like there's some real logistics questions you know much like I have with like resourcing issues on the Death Star like okay so did you bring all your own diving gear how did you get that through customs how long was your flight from Tha- like into Thailand how did you get all your gear here did you have to go fill up your oxygen tanks what about the big drama with Elon Musk that happened during the same incidents like there's all these other kind of events and I'm, I was kind of intrigued about as well yeah oh there's the logistics side of it I feel like at the risk of bringing out a half measures classic I feel like this could have been quite an extraordinary six part miniseries, miniseries. yeah yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. But like, overall, still a really great movie. And I think um, a real delight to watch, I think, because everyone survived, yeah. even though it was terrifying yeah. throughout. Oh, look, it's, I'm the same. I, I'm going all the guns on this, Dan. I don't know about you. That's, that, for me, it's... All yeah. the guns. So, it, yeah, if you like if you like Ron Howard movies, if you like true stories, rescue movies, 100% for you. And 13 Lives is available on Prime Video. Prime video indeed. Well, Paul, what would be your pick of the week this week? For me, I mean, we've talked about some extraordinary things and some great things, but for me, For All Mankind is in a class of its own. As good as our movie of the week was, and I really, really uh, enjoyed that, and as and as much fun and emotional roller coaster that Breeders was, again, a great quality, uh, For All Mankind Season 3 still sits out there as a, a standout for me. How about you? Yeah, I'm really torn. I could almost name any one of the things I've watched this week. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Top Gun Maverick just because just such a a fun time. Uh, Just anything fighter jets, it's just so crazy and so kind of like something you can't, you know, most people just never get to experience and to kind of see that brought to life. I I wish I saw it on the the big screen, but it was a a fantastic watch and I think closely followed by House of the Dragon because it's good to be back. I'm glad to hear that Maverick is the top spot. That's that's encouraging to hear. Dan, what about news? What about news? So a few things on the news desk today. So last week we mentioned that uh, the Batman hadn't actually been confirmed for a second episode, uh, second episode, second movie. That has now um, been greenlit and things are well underway. Apparently they're just through the big cull that uh, Warner Brothers had been doing. Um, it just hadn't been signed off, but it is now under underway, under development. So we'll be expecting much more more to come in the Batman space, I imagine. Very excited. For me, just quickly as an aside, that's my that's still my movie of the year thus far. Um I'm curious to see where you think that places alongside Maverick as well to give a, a sense of that Maverick factor. I would probably almost give it to oh, Maverick. Oh wow, we're really looking at a movie here. Yeah. Nice. But I That's good. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, has officially got its um, formal trailer ahead of the premiere next week. So um, if you're a fan of trailers, you might want to check that out. If you like to go on a little bit blind, then maybe avoid that one. Uh, the latest Thor movie will be coming to Disney Plus on the 8th of December. That's Thor Love and Thunder. Looking forward to checking that one out. So that's only a couple of weeks away. Uh, speaking of uh, House of the Dragon, uh, which we've just been talking about on this episode of the podcast, it actually, um, with the number of people watching it, it crashed the HBO service for millions of fans during the premiere. And I think that's both awesome and, and terrible that, you know, a, a streaming service um, can't handle this, this amount of viewers. But at the same time, I think it shows very promising things for uh for, for the TV show and for people's sort of appetite to get back into Game of Thrones. Definitely. Speaking of Game of Thrones, George R.R. R. Martin has come out again, and he's he's made this comment before, but he's just sort of reiterating his points that uh, he really wanted the original Game of Thrones to go for at least 10 seasons, and he, he really kind of uh, fought for that and unfortunately lost. And I think we all agree, George, unfortunate times. Now, this is a little bit of gaming news slash Star Wars book news, so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd bring it here to the table. So we're getting a new um, Star Wars game next year, a, a follow-up to uh, Fallen Order, and they're going to be bringing out a book in March next year, which is going to bridge the gap between Fallen Order and um, the new game, which is going to be called Survivor. And that book is going to be called Battle Scars, and it comes out on the 7th of March next year. Battle Scars. I'll definitely be Add reading it. Add it to list. Add to list. Um, the creators from Cobra Kai are working on a Ferris Bueller's Day Off spin-off, which, uh, you know, oh, that was an enjoyable movie. I think they've done such wonderful things with Cobra Kai. Consider me intrigued. I'll definitely uh, check out what they've got to offer. It's a classic. It's another classic to go revisit that sort of universe. So um, very exciting. Mm, indeed, indeed. Um, and I should have put this with the Lord of the Rings news, but I'm not that organised. So a final bit of Lord of the Rings news. So the Embracer Group, which has recently brought the rights uh, to Lord of the Rings, they are looking to make a whole bunch of games, movies, and more about the franchise. And they're already talking about a potential Gandalf and Aragon spin-off movies. Wow, that's massive. A Gandalf, that would be outrageous. Yeah, interesting because that's kind of the path that Star Wars kind of started yeah, down. Yeah. Um and then they obviously went with their their series. So it'll be intriguing to see what they do there. I imagine a lot of this might depend on how this new TV show does and what people are sort of looking for, but um interesting times ahead for the Lord of the Rings universe. Awesome. And that is me, Paul. Any news on your end? Um just a couple of things I spotted. Um King Kong is getting a live action series um, on Disney Plus, um, so that could always be interesting. King Kong is something which has always fascinated me. Never, it never gets me into the cinema, but I always watch it when it comes out. But I think a TV series could be an interesting way to explore that sort of universe uh, a little bit more. Uh, what else have I got here? Um, Barry David has confirmed Kirby Enthusiasm is coming uh, season twelve. 
that's exciting. One of my favorite shows. Actually, funny enough, then we've actually got right up to season 11 now. So we've been watching that in the background for the last few months and we've gone through 11 seasons. So season 12 is going to be wow. perfect timing for us because, yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to do after that. Now we've got a 12th season. And then, and the only other thing I spotted this week was uh, Titus Welliver tweeted a photo of his trailer for um, season two of. Um, Bosch Legacy, which has started filming. And what what I really enjoyed about it the most was rather than sort of having his trailer door with Bosch Legacy, Titus Welliver on the door, it just his door just says Harry Bosch. And I just I just I just love that <laughs> he's like, I'm Bosch and this is my trailer. There's, there's no Titus here. I thought that was really good. And you could you could imagine that would be as that's how Harry Bosch would be in real yeah. life. Like, don't don't mark me around, just put my name yeah. on the door. And it's around. on a really cheap piece of paper that's just been printed off of yeah it's just it's it's classic harry bosch i cannot wait for that series to come back around that's awesome uh mailbag anything in the yeah, mail so a couple of things here so we breaking bad and medical soul composer dave porter who's done all the music themes for these shows all the way back since we first met Water white in 2008 he shared our our finale season review of medical soul on twitter which is which is good. I still haven't quite come to terms with the fact that we're saying goodbye to that universe, Dan. But, um, but there we go. Um, I mentioned in our mailbag, I guess a couple of podcasts ago, that we had we had four out of the five miners from the war below um, had shared or commented or listened and reviewed our, our podcast. Well, this week we got a late share from Sam Hazeldean, uh, who played William Hawkin in that movie. So that is all five lead actors from one movie getting in amongst our social media. That's got to be a record for us. That's awesome. Also late uh, to the table was Michael from North Carolina um, with a peak performance for Angelina Jolie coming in with a late uh, uh, honourable mention for Wanted and a peak performance of Salt. Um, so good choices there. Um, Tony Collette was our peak performance last week, and Michael also gave us uh, his choices there. Three, two, one, of Krampus. I, I need to look that up. Uh, it's Krampus with a K. I have no idea what that is. Um, number two, Hereditary and peak performance of Unbelievable. So definitely in sync with us on the on the last two, which was good. Um, everyone was from overseas this week, actually. Ryan from Oakland, Muriel's wedding. Ken from New York City. Muriel's Wedding, Paddy from Time Traveling Team, Muriel's Wedding, Sixth Sense, and Little Miss Sunshine. That's three mentions of Muriel's Wedding, which triggers a rewatch clause. Then that's uh, that's outrageous, and it's outrageous that those uh, the love for Muriel's Wedding is coming from around yes, the globe. Indeed, so it great is. Stuff. and that is yeah, that's our mailbag this week. All right, shall we uh, jump on over to our peak performances? Yep, so just like our movie of the week, we take it in turns each week to look at someone's career and say what is the best thing they've ever done. And there's a bit of a theme going on here, Dan, where we watch something and then it inspires a peak performance. And of course, last week's movie of the week was The Rock and Ed Harris came out of that. Ed Harris, he's a he's a great guy. He's got a, a great back catalogue. So uh, honourable mention for me this week, I'm going to go with the 2001 movie, Enemy at the Gates. So this is a, a classic World War II movie for me, um, where Ed Harris plays uh, Major Coney, and he's basically uh, 
an elite German sniper, and he's going up against Jude Law's uh, Vasily, and just a you know a role where Ed Harris's character doesn't do a lot of talking, but he has a real kind of screen presence and and threat as a um, as a sort of a, a terrifying sniper, and just a, a great standout movie. It may not be the best movie ever made, may not be the best war movie, but one that I have fond memories of. Nice. And for my peak performance, I'm actually going to switch over to a TV show, and I'm going to give this one um, to Ed Harris. He plays the the Man in Black in uh, Westworld, which is, you know, I real big fan of the first season, and it's really as well. We're up to season four now, and it's sort of really making a bit of a comeback. And he just plays this fantastic dark cowboy uh and westworld and so i don't know whether you know much about westworld paul but basically it's a a a world where you can go in and live out your your wildest fantasies and this particular world is the the wild west and um ed harris he's playing he's he's in that world and he's living his best life doing whatever the hell he wants in only a way that ed harris can he is a badass cowboy so that's me, Any Meet the Gates, and Westworld. How about yourself? That sounds like that Westworld synopsis sounds like exactly what you would do if you if you could walk into that right now. You'd just be straight off to Yellowstone. It's like get, you're just walking with the hat on and just be like, I'm going. Um, Let's go. What an incredible cast for that show as well. Anthony Hopkins, Aaron Paul, Jeffrey Wright, Thandaway Newton, Ed Harris. I mean, just across the board, extraordinary. Um, I have two... Two different choices. Uh, Honourable mention for me, Dan, I'm actually going all the way back to 1992, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. This is an absolutely exceptional movie. If something we haven't done is top 10 movies by decade, this is 100% in my top 10 movies for the 1990s, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I mean, just even just looking at the casties alongside Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Spacey, um, Alan Ark and Jonathan Price. He he was one of many who gave a superb performance in this movie. And the the I guess the story from David Mamet is, you know, the, the lines, the dialogue is absolutely superb. Him and Alec Baldwin in particular were were real standouts in this movie for me. But just a really solid movie all round. Definitely needs a rewatch at some point. I've watched this. It's one of those ones I've watched quite a few times from the nineties back in the day. I think I had it on VHS. Um, so that's my that's my honourable pick, and then I've I've never seen this one, Paul, or heard of it. Shock! You're shocked. <laughs> it's I th- I think I I think I had it originally because I was at the point where I was just basically collecting anything Pacino was in, and so it was part of my Pacino collection. Um, Pacino being, the, um, but Ed Harris was, yeah. Oh, Glenn Gary Gomez, you you absolutely love it. You absolutely love that the, the the dialogue is shout. Alec Baldwin, he's he's in there. It looks good. I can, I can tell, as you say, by the cast, the even the sort of the commentary. I will hunt this one down. Yeah, you'll be you won't be disappointed. But um, just three years later, for my peak performance, so just three years in between, this was again just so easy for me as Gene Kranz in Ron Howard's 1995 movie, Apollo 13. This, and again, this is so far above anything else 
Ed Harris has has ever done. This is this is truly a role of a lifetime for him. And you know, he this is the one he got nominated for the Oscar. It's one of those performances that is so convincing that you literally think that Ed Harris could walk into NASA the day after this movie came out and they would just offer him a job on the spot. It's he's he's so sharp. He's such an iconic look in that you know flight director mission control white vest. Um, it's it's interesting because I did a bit of reading around it because I've uh, uh, this is a movie I'm obsessed with and I just did some reading around it and he was um, he was so good in this he inspired some of the mission controllers at NASA so the guy who uh, landed or not landed but re- was mission control for Curiosity when it landed on Mars the mission controller said at the moment they touched down. Uh, the first thing he said on TV was, I feel like Ed Harris in Apollo 13 <laughs> as he was getting that <laughs> lander onto Mars. So this was just a role he was born to play. And it was also how he got the voice um, of uh, of NASA. So for the movie Gravity uh, with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, uh, which is the only two people you see in that movie, but the voice of NASA on the ground, that, that they specifically chose Ed Harris because, again, of this performance in the Apollo 13. So, yeah, this was an easy one for me. But, yeah, Glengarry, Glen Ross and Apollo 13. Great choices, Paul, as always. Well, that probably brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. It does indeed. Uh, thanks for listening in. Get in touch with us if you've got a peak performance for Ed Harris or if you've got something to say about For All Mankind, Maverick, whatever it might be, get in touch with us on our social media or halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, and Diana Kanawa. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.